Sorry, guys. I am a creature of habit, if you're watching. And when things completely are not the same, I lose, I lose everything. I'm a squirrel. So there was a book here. I don't hear myself the way I did during the sound test. And I just, it's not anyone's fault. It's mine. I'm a, I'm a squirrel. So I'm a diva. I got to have everything the way it was or I can't function. You know what else is weird? So we only have a few people in here today, and they feel like they can't make any sounds. Like no one is making a sound. Like no, thanks for the fake laugh, Blake. Uh, let's go ahead and get started. Um, guys, I want to, have you ever let yourself, well, t- let me stop. See, I told you I'm completely off today because everything was different. Uh, I want to say thank you if you guys are watching online. The worship team did a great job. Mandy, our lead singer, was sick today. And we, though we miss her, she does a great job. The worship team killed it today and really shows a lot about the overall talent of our worship team that they're able to just adjust to that, keep moving. So great job to everyone. And, of course, uh, Mandy, we miss you. Hope you get back here soon. So I want everyone to take a second and think about split-second moments. Have you ever let yourself think about moments in your life? I know this is going to be hard for me to explain. To those few moments, sometimes split seconds in life, when you were at the moment of a crucial decision. The moment you decided, maybe it's that moment you decided to ask that girl or guy out that turned out to be your wife, right? Some of you have been married for 20 years. You ever think back to that moment when you had the opportunity, there was a moment when you could have, you wanted to ask them, you were getting ready to ask them, and it could have went either way. We're not talking about the weeks, guys, where you worked up the courage. We're talking about the actual moment that you had to walk up and not just drool and say something to ask this person out. Maybe it's that time that you decided to apply for the job that's now your career, that you can't imagine anywhere else, being anywhere else. If you look back to that moment when you're filling out the resume, filling out the app, maybe you're just going, I'll take whatever I can get, and now you look back and you go, how am I here? One, one decision to say, no, I don't want to send that app in, and you're not in the career you're at now. Maybe it's the moment you sign that financial aid package to the college you ended up attending or are attending now, right? That's when it becomes real. Once you sign a paper, they, they own you, right? <laughs> it's kind of true. That moment when the pen, because I do, right? You put your finger down on it, it's like, okay, all of this decision comes down to this moment. Or maybe it's the moment you walked onto the sports field, you know, guys, girls, whatever, that moment you said, I'm going to try out for this team, whether it's the first time or whether it was, you know, the varsity, and you walked out there and you had to take that chance and say, I'm going to try this. It's like your key moment. When I, I've told this story before. I, uh, I had a friend, uh, a, a lady. She actually watches this sometimes. She'll know who she is. She sees it. And she, a friend of mine from high school, and after high school, do you, this is going to date me, okay? AIM. Anyone remember AIM, Instant Messenger? No? Me either. That was for old people. Anyway, Messenger, and they had, her name was Key Moment something or other. And I remember going, well, what's a key moment? Because, <laughs> you know, I was you know, acted like a dumb jock or whatever. And she went through and she explained it. She goes, a key moment for me is going to be that moment when I'm walking down the aisle and I see my husband, right? She said, that moment will be a key moment in my life, right? And I used to, that hit me. Even back then, I was like, whoa, that's, that's pretty heavy because that was not what I was trying to get out of that conversation, right? But that stuck with me. We all have these key moments that, believe it or not, guys, even though we may have months and years and hours that lead up to the, to the moment, there's a key moment when you have to make a decision. Those moments are crazy for me. I'm a football player, former. I have to, I'm getting used to saying that. And I always think about it in a football sense. Do you guys know that an average football play lasts four seconds? That's it. Four seconds, an average football play. Now, as a guy being there, it's that moment for me before the quarterback, he gets down. I play defense a lot, right, sometimes. And he gets down, and, he's, and I'm playing linebacker, and he says, hike. And in that, the moment he says hike, the moment that ball snapped, everything changes. I have to make a decision. The moment, that millisecond between when the ball is snapped and I have to do something. Either I take a step, I fall to the ground, I cry to the sideline, whatever it is, I have to do something. But for me, I think a picture of that moment that's even more apt or fitting is the moment after a pitcher pitches the ball before it gets to the batter. Now, I, I, I'm not a baseball player, um, and I'll explain why in a moment. Uh, but that, that's a crazy moment, right? Especially as you get higher and higher, you have this moment of like, okay, the ball's pitched. Is that going to hit me? Is it going to be a strike? Is it going to be a ball? 
uh, what's the situation, right? Those of you that really play baseball, you're even thinking of like, I got somebody on third base, I got to do this. I don't think that way. I just, we'll get to that. You think, think about that second, right? How fast that is. I should have looked that up. How fast from the pitcher's hand to the bat or to the glove of the catcher. That situation is so fast. And that moment, by the way, that moment reminds me of why I'm not a good baseball player. I told you, good segue. Or why I was not a good baseball player. I played a total of two years of Little League slash, I don't know what they call it, Pee Wee? What is it, Blake? You know it. Pony League? No, it was definitely not called that. That's weird. Uh, you know, Little League, whatever else it is. I played in kindergarten, okay? And I played in sixth grade. In kindergarten, this is an embarrassing story, I played, and despite what I may be now, Todd, you're aggressive and mean, I was not that way as a kid. I was pretty shy, I was, pretty not, I was not confident in myself, and I was not very good, okay, I guess. I don't really remember much about it, except I had a green shirt that didn't fit, and because I was kind of chubby, it was set right over here over my belly. My belly always hung out, and it was super embarrassing. My mom made me take pictures with my glove raised, so it was even higher on my belly. We have those pictures. I will burn them. Um, it's kind of embarrassing because the year after, two years after, my younger sister played, what did we call that? T-ball. That's the word, not Pony League. T-ball. So I played T-ball and Little League. That's it. And in T-ball, the next year, my si so by the way, that's even different, right? There's a moment. No one's even pitching it. All I got to do is hit the ball off the tee. But you got to swing. We'll get to that. And in sixth grade, I remember, the, for real, the first time, because I played football that year, and I was pretty good at that. So I somehow in my mind thought, you know what? Baseball is just the next thing. I'll probably be good at that too. And I went out for it. And I remember my first real pitch in a real game. Under the lights, I can literally see it with my team. And parents watching. I was the Royals. I still remember the name. And here's the thing. I don't remember any practice. I don't remember any part of the game. Except literally, guys, I'm not exaggerating for the story. I remember the moment I walked from the dugout to the batter's box. There's lights. It's dark. There's parents around. And I remember that moment. And a guy pitching the ball at me. But here's the thing. What made me really bad at baseball, and I'm being serious, is that I was scared of the ball. I was. I was scared of the ball. But more than that, I was afraid of making a mistake. I can be honest with you. I remember the feeling. I was afraid of failing, afraid that if I took the swing, I was going to let everybody down. I was afraid of being seen for the phony, poor player that I was, right? Because if I don't swing, I can always walk away and be like, you know, I could have hit that. Yeah, I just didn't swing. I could have. I probably could have hit a home run. I was afraid of the thoughts in my head of not being good enough, athletic enough, fit enough. I was afraid of those being proven true when I struck out, hit a foul ball, or, you know, those embarrassing little dribbler ones where it goes like two feet. And I wasn't very fast then, Blake. You'd be surprised. And, you know, those were almost more embarrassing. Here's the thing. I struck out a lot, but I didn't swing. And I had a really nice coach, genuinely. It's not his fault. He was a super nice guy. I still remember him. He didn't take a ton of interest in me. Primarily because I was not going to be one of the, I was the right field guy. The right field uh, kid. You know what that is if you played Little League. But he never told me to swing. Genuinely. Nice guy. He would say things like, hey, do your best. But he never told me to swing. He didn't. And in that silence, I took that to mean that he thought the same things I thought. Do your best, but it's really better not to swing because you're going to make a fool of yourself. Because, right, he told other people to swing. Hey, we really need you. We need this hit. Get a piece of it. He never said that to me. He just said, hey, you know, go do your best. With that look of like, okay, well, moving on. And once he found out, in, that, in the silence, I took that to mean he thought the same things I did. And once he found out how bad of a player I was, he wouldn't play me anymore. Right? That's the thought I had. And I was barely playing as is. I think in Little League they had to play me a certain amount of innings. And so I didn't want to not get to play that, right? So I never swung and I always struck out. Listen, those at-the-bat moments happen throughout life. It doesn't matter if you've never played sports. You have those moments throughout your life. We have those key moments, those opportunities, those dreams, those thoughts, those ideas, those chances that God gives us. Those chances, those moments, those little nuggets of like what ifs that God gives us. Sometimes specific to us, right? You go be a missionary, maybe. Oh, that's, I can think of all the reasons not to. Or start a church. 
or all these other things. But where there are definitely things that all Christians are called to. Go tell people about Jesus. Love this person. Take care of the poor. Love your husband. Love your wife. Forgive. Be at peace. All of these things. Every day we are faced with these at-the-bat moments. And in that moment we have a crucial decision to make. Do we swing? Or do we wait and hope that best case scenario, we get walked, right? Then you can be like, I was smart. No one has to know you were really just afraid. That happens all the time in life. Do you know that? You know, I, I tell some of the guys that I mentor, I say all the time, quit waiting for something good to happen. Because it does every now and then. You're like, okay, if I wait long enough, the, the money fairy will give me $1,000. And then when randomly something good happens, you're like, see, the money fairy's real. Then you wait for the money fairy, and he doesn't show up very often, does he, adults and people in the room that are older? No. And if you have his number, let me know, because I'm mad that he hasn't come to my house. Do we swing, or do we hope to get these best-case walk scenarios? Or, listen, more likely we strike out. But at least you didn't swing and look stupid, right? At least no one knows you thought you could do it. So we strike out, not because we fail, but because we're so afraid. Listen to me. We are so afraid to fail that we don't swing. And here's the thing. I already know. Here's a baseball analogy, and half of you are zoned out already. And you people that are zoned out are the ones who don't swing in life. You're the ones that approach Christianity as the thing you show up on Sunday and you, and you take your nap during and you think about what you're going to do after and you can't wait till this long-winded pastor gets done talking. And that's because you don't understand that you're in the moment where you're being taught how to swing because the pitches are coming. Regardless of whether you want them to or not, the opportunities are coming and you're going to be faced with the reality of do I swing or do I sit? Well, I don't want to bat. doesn't matter. The pitches are coming. God constantly puts people up to bat. He's going to do it your entire life, and no amount of hoping or hiding is going to change that. It just changes the circumstances. He puts us in these situations, scary situations, crazy situations, uncomfortable situations, anxious situations, not to punish us, but to show us how amazing he is, to get us to trust him. And this is the part that's incredible about God. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. And yet he gives us opportunities to be used by him and be a part of the miraculous. This is reality. You have got to wake up and quit accepting that life is filled with opportunities to just sit back and take the walk or more likely take the strikeout. And you know what you do? The same thing I've done many times, particularly in my past before I recognize this moment, is you say, oh, you beat yourself up that you didn't swing and you hope that you get another chance. But you don't always get another chance to do the bases are loaded and be the hero, do you? Yeah, you might get a chance for a single or a double, but you don't always get a chance to come up with the game on the line, bases loaded, you're the last batter, this is it. He loves us, and he wants us to grow in trust, and he wants us to swing, guys. Listen to me. God wants you to swing. He's not the coach that says, do your best, right? Because your best is swinging. See, that's the key that my coach didn't tell me. The best is taking the swing. Anything else is settling. If you have your Bibles, listen, we're going to take, I'm going to give you three scenarios, three moments in the Bible when someone was up to bat. And they had an opportunity to make a decision of whether to swing or not to swing. And guys, I'm going to read you these stories. You're going to be like, I know how it ends, but I'm going to stop it at the moment when it could go either way so you can actually see the moment when he could swing or he could not. I want to take a look at three fairly known situations in the Bible and these moments actually happen. That's another thing. Do you realize these are not Aesop's fables? Blake, you get to be the guy I talked to today. I was in the front row. These aren't Aesop's fables. These happened. These are real people that face the same decisions we face every day. The reason we remember them, you ready, is because they swung. They had to make a decision, swing or not. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you don't have it, it'll be on the screen. And we're starting at verses 38 and 40. 38 through 40, I'm sorry. Now, before I go on, I'll set you up a second. I know I should have waited. You guys ever heard of a guy named David? 
You guys ever heard of David and Goliath? We always think about the fact that the rock got hit his head, right? But I want to sit the situation up. So there's this giant nine foot tall. We actually looked this up. Remember the spear thing recently? Do you remember how long and heavy and all that? No, man, this is your chance. This, uh, so this nine foot tall, Todd, nine foot people don't exist. <laughs> yeah, they did. Okay, there was a nine foot guy. He existed. He's a monster. He's essentially mocking the Israelites, God's people. And he said, bring somebody out. Now, we don't know this to be sure, but I'm sure they knew who he was. He wasn't just big. This guy had killed people. He was deadly. And they say, bring someone out. See, back then, sometimes in order to avoid a big battle, you'd send a champion and a champion. They fight, and everybody agrees to honor who wins. So he comes out and says, are any of you dogs? He starts mocking them, starts mocking their God, and nobody wants to step up. So King Saul, at the time sitting there, by the way, he, looked, he probably looked like the rock, jacked, big guy, and he's not going out there because he's the king, right? He was probably afraid too. And a little boy shows up. A little boy, a little shepherd boy shows up, and he runs where his brothers are at, and he's like, hey, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, uh, there's that guy mocking us and calling our God weak and, he said, and challenging us, and he says, well, why is no one going to fight him? Uh, because he is a nine-foot-tall killer. Just a thought. And so the boy goes up and essentially says this David and says, I'll do it. I'll fight him. Can you imagine that? Right? I'll fight him. So he goes up to Saul, 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 King Saul, apparently so desperate, lets the boy come to him and is like, listen, you're going to get killed. You're a boy. No, I'm not. I'm going to stand for a God. At that point, if he says no, he's saying, I don't trust God. So he says, Sure. And this is where we'll pick up the story. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword on over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. He just said, I cannot walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag. Then with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. I'm going to jump down to verse 48 here. When the Philistine started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. Pause. Now you know how the story ends, but let me take a second and, and give you a scenario that shows you that this was a crucial moment for David. This was a moment whether he had an opportunity to take the swing or not. And what it boiled down to was he's running to this line. Imagine it. He runs up. There's a nine foot guy charging him. You have a lot of options at this point. Option one, I pee myself. I fall to my knees and I say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Option two, I run to the line, quickly realize this is getting real. I run backwards, hope he doesn't throw his giant spear at me. Right? Option three, play dead. You know, oh, I have a heart attack. Don't kill him. You know, whatever it is, that's his option. Or option four, actually take the swing. Now you're like, well, we know that, Todd. Put yourself there. You don't think David had that thought? That as he's facing this guy running at him, this monster charging him, that he didn't have a moment where he said, ooh, these odds are really stacked against me. Not only am I a 12-year-old, this is a 19-year-old, or a 19-year-old, a 9-foot-tall guy, he is in armor. I am not. He has a giant log spear. I have a stick with some rocks and a sling. Not even a slingshot. Guys, you understand that, right? In our minds, we think it's like Dennis the Menace. No, this is a, it's a much harder aim. It's, a, it's really just a strap of leather that you would just go, yeah, if I release it at the right time, it's going to hit someone. The odds were stacked against him, and yet, listen to me, no one else was willing. God had said, I'm going to take care of you, my people. Trust me. Have faith in me. They had all the same stories. God had said, I will be with you. God said that they would have victory over these people. God said these things. And so David had to decide, do I really believe that God picked me for this moment? Even though the circumstances around me make zero sense. I'm a boy. That's a giant. I have no training, really. Yeah, he killed some bears and stuff. But again, we're, we're assuming he drove them off of the rocks. Not fighting warriors. God gave him the opportunity of a lifetime. But David still had to choose, who was a real person, had to choose whether to swing or to not. 
I had that situation. I'll give you a personal story and connect. You know, um, I, I did not play. I got recruited to play college football a few places. Nothing huge because I wasn't six foot tall. And I took time off and I went and played some semi-pro, which is exactly what you think it is and sounds like. You've seen the movie. And then I had an opportunity to go try out for an arena team. And everybody said, right, they take... I got kind of scouted along with these six other guys and invited to this trial in Chicago. And I promise you, the night before, I get a call from this guy who's sort of our coach. And he called and said, hey, Todd, you know, he's, he's bragging on all these different guys. And he goes, hey, you know what, Todd, if you try really hard, you might be able to impress them and maybe make a special teams. But essentially, he's saying, you're not going to make it. Don't get discouraged. And I was discouraged. <laughs> I was driving to Chicago from Syracuse, Indiana, to try out in front of professional people and play with professional people. Hey, Walter Payton's son was there. Fact. And I already have doubts, and this guy's telling me, you're not good enough. In that moment, I had a choice. And I'd lived most of my life, guys. There was a moment, I'll get to that later, but there was a moment in my life that I didn't swing a lot. And I swung that day. And guess what? I made it out of 200 people over and over and over. All the rest of those guys got cut and I didn't. That's not to brag on me. That's to say you don't know unless you swing. See, some of you, it looks a little different. Some of you, the circumstances are God tells you, trust me, put your faith in me. I know you're depressed. I know your marriage is tough. Uh, I know that you don't seem to have a lot of hope, but I'm coming. Don't turn to these other things. Take a swing. And instead of taking a swing, you take a swig. Get what I'm saying? You take the pill, or you take the drug, or you take the, the warm body, or you take the other way out, because at the end of the day, that is the same as not taking a swing, because you're not actually doing anything. Because the only thing that takes a risk is trusting that God's going to come through. Because some of you are in situations out there that I'm honest, Todd, I'm being honest with you, I have no idea how God's going to move in it. But I know that God doesn't want you to walk away. God doesn't want you to give up. God doesn't want you to mistrust him. He wants you to take the swing. And in this case, taking the swing is what? Trusting him, following him, doing what he says to do, even when the world tells you to take the easy way out, not doing what he says not to do because you know that it doesn't matter if it makes you feel good in the moment. Long run, it's going to what? Cause you to strike out. And then you wonder why over and over and over you're in the same pattern. Because the truth is, you're not ever really swinging. Yes, I am. No, you're not. So what happened? What did David do? Well, let's look down at verse 49 and 50. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone. I love that. He had to remind us, right? The Bible reminds us. By the way, he didn't beat him by stabbing him. He beat him with a rock. And a piece of leather. Even though David had no sword, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. That's my God. He swung. See, here's the reality. David took the swing and he became a king. You like that? David took the swing and because he was willing, he became the king. What if he didn't? I believe fully that God would have put someone up to bat. But it wouldn't have been David. And we wouldn't know King David. Some of you are in the same spot. All you see is when you look in the mirror is the shepherd boy or the failing girl or whatever other name the world's given you. Not equipped to do the job. And God says, you think I don't know what I'm talking about? Right? It's like those movies. They're sitting on the bench and you've got the best pitcher in the world and you haven't played. And they're like, hey, uh, Todd, I need you to come up here. Randy Johnson's pitching. Your turn. That's the only pitcher I know. Right? And then you're going, what, Me? And you've got like, I don't know, somehow let's imagine Babe Ruth. Who's some other good hitters? Tell me. Mickey Mantle. And then we go up to juiced up guys, right? Huh? Sammy Sosa. What's the other guy? Mark McGuire, right? And I'm sitting there and he goes, mm, Todd. Right? I'm going to go. <laughs> Mark's right here. He's got his, he is juiced up and ready. And God says, I know what I'm doing. He didn't let to the circumstances, right? David didn't let the circumstances prevent him from taking the swing. He couldn't control whether there was a giant. Yeah, I'm sure if he could wish, he'd be like, I wish that was a puppy running at me. 
right? No, he can't control that. He can't control that everyone's watching. All he can control is whether he takes a swing. Piece of leather, rock, do something, God. Take the swing, become the king. I like that. I want to give you another scenario. You guys know it if you... Matthew, the gospel, chapter 14, verses 24 through the beginning of 29. This is... uh, the disciples are with Jesus, and they're going across a lake, and they're, supposed to, they're trying to meet Jesus on the other side. He had one ahead of them, and a storm comes. You guys know the story, don't you? Yeah, I know you do, but I'm going to stop it. But the, so the boat, the, but the boat was already over a mile from the land. A storm comes, by the way. But the boat was already over a mile from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Around three in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea. He's capitalized. Who's that? Jesus. Anytime it's when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Immediately Jesus spoke to them, Have courage. <laughs> there it is. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Pause. Don't read ahead, tricksters. See, right here, if we end this chapter, you're going, Boy, what's he going to do? What are your options? If I'm Peter, I'm thinking, I'm really just testing because there's no way that's actually Jesus. So I'm like, if it's you, tell me to come out there. And I'm hoping he goes, it's not me. Right? Really loud. Right? I'm, I'm being real. Let's put our, that's something I would do. My, my cell phone, it's not working. Right? I can't hear you. The next thing I could do is say, um, I'll wait till you get to me. Right? We'll just wait till you're a little closer. What else you could do? I could turn around to the rest of the guys and go, that's a ghost. Or Jesus is insane. Or do you think he, what do you think he meant? Right? You could think that. Come. Because clearly we're going to go, huh? If it's you. So let's look at this situation. This is terrifying. Put yourself there. Guys, these are not yachts. <laughs> these are small boats with a sail. That's why the wind part's important because they were, the wind was not with them. It was kind of, they were out of control, okay? And here comes in the middle of the storm, you can barely see Jesus who's supposed to be on the other side. You think it is. And he's looking and he goes, hey, don't be afraid, right? And I'm going, I'm already afraid. <laughs> and if it's you, you know, Peter's kind of a, he was sort of a bullheaded guy he comes across as. So he, he does, he's always questioning Jesus. If it's you, by the way, if I was Jesus, and this is why he's so good, eventually with Peter, I'd be like, that's it, I'm done with you, right? He never, he's never done with us. Instead, he says, don't be afraid. And he says, come. In that moment, fear, he, had the, he, was, at to, he was at bat. He was at bat. And everything, guys, is against him. Everything is scary. There's a storm. I could drown. It's impossible to go out on water. It is impossible. How many times have you told yourself that? Something comes to mind. I could do this or I could do that or I could serve here. No, that's impossible. Who says? This is really impossible. Fear. Fear wrapped him. We already know it. He was scared. He didn't magically not have a fear anymore. We know that because what happens later. In that moment, he's up to bat and he has the opportunity to either swing or strike out. And what happens? Let's see. Continuing on, verse 29, and climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. Oh, man. I almost don't like that this story is so famous because you guys are like, yeah, he walked on water. No, he literally walked on a storming, raging sea. So here's the thing. In the midst of the fear, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of everything making no sense, when it didn't make sense, Jesus called him to act, and guess what he did? He took the swing, and because he took the swing against all fear, against all probability, he got to see the miraculous. <laughs> see, some of you want to see a miracle, but you don't want to swing. Right? You want a home run, but you want to just chill and be like, I just want the ball to magically fly out of That's not how it works. You want to be the hero, but you're not willing to fight for anything. Take the swing and you see the miraculous. So many of you guys, God has called you to do something, whether that's serving your local church, whether that's um, take that new job, whether it's uh, to stand up against some injustice that you're seeing, whether it's sometimes, you ready, going and telling your family about Jesus, your friend, 
whatever it is, doing something radical, you know that, that woman's a temptation for you. What are you going to do? So you have to work with her. What are you going to do? Well, you can't leave a job. That's crazy. I'm just throwing things out like this. What do you do when fear is overwhelming, when things seem impossible? What do you do? Do you swing or do you sit? I am telling you, I don't know what the end result will be. Stay with me. I do not, I don't know your situation. I'm not saying in this fearful situation that if you, you know, you follow God, that everything's going to go the way you want it to go. I'm not going to say that you're going to walk on water. But what I am going to say is he is not going to let go of you. And that he will work all those things out for your good. I believe it. I believe it because it's true. And then maybe one that, will get to, this one sticks to me more than anything. Have you guys ever heard of a guy named Jesus? As a joke. I hope so. If not, we need to talk. You know, Jesus over and over kept telling people that I have a reason to be here. I have a job to do. Did you know that? That he had a purpose and it wasn't just telling you and me what to do. That's what it seems like, right? And I right said he's just telling you what not to do and what to do. That's not it. No, he had a bigger purpose. And in the midst of that, that's what's incredible. He's got this really important job, and he's still loving people. I think that's mind-blowing and healing. But the point is he had a job, and he knew. He knew I'm going to have to go up to bat with the bases loaded, the deck stacked against me, the best pitcher that the world has ever seen. I'm going to have to do that. Imagine that. Imagine you. Have you ever done that? I did when I was a kid. I didn't want to bat sometimes in big, crucial situations. So I would go, one, two, three. Oh, shoot, there's only three, right? I'm going to have to do it. Jesus knew that. And so we come to the night before everything happened. And this is where we pick up the story at a garden. He takes him and a few of his closest friends. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 44. Stay with me. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but you will. Dad, I don't really want a bat, but I will if I have to. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so you couldn't stay awake with me one hour? Imagine that. He's over there praying. He's scared. He's like, I'm going to go talk to the guys. Get them to pump me up. They're sleeping. So he comes back. Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into, into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oof. I think this is more than just to them. You with me? Who's he? He's not just talking to them. He's talking to him. My spirit is willing. Right? But my flesh is weak, pray. And again, a second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again. I'm going to go back talk to my boys. And they're sleeping. He came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. He went back and, guys, I'm I'm scared. Can you just stay with me? You're my three best friends. Nope, you're sleeping. I'm alone. I'm literally alone. See, in this situation, the future possibilities were terrifying. Guys, I need you to listen with me. Stay, stay with me. I'll connect it to you. Here's something. God, Jesus is fully God, right? Everybody with me? Virtual people, raise your hands. Yes. But here's the thing. He was also what? Fully man. And if he was fully man, what does that mean? I've thought about this and it blows my mind. Which meant, even though he knew the plan, he had doubts. He had to have. You ready for, for me to play Jesus for a second and, and, and tell you what I would think? What if I'm crazy? What if the Pharisees are right? Maybe I'm not who I said I am. Maybe, maybe my mom even said, my mom and my sisters and brothers came to me and said, hey, we know you and, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm crazy. This is nuts. I'm going to do something stupid and get killed. I should go apologize. I should just go be a carpenter again. Wait, what if the father doesn't come through? What if, what if that's the end of the story? What if I do all of this and go through this and it doesn't, he doesn't come through? You know what? I could do it a different way. I have the power. I literally could call down angels. I could, I could defeat him a, a different way. I could do this a different way. 
Just three examples. I'm not saying that's the truth, but fully man means he had f- doubts. A lot of times we get caught up in the what ifs. Right? We get called to do something, whether it's something special. By the way, some of you are so focused on God calling you to something special that you're missing the special in the normal things he's calling you to. I know that's wordy, right? Do you know how special it is to give hope to someone? Do you know how special it is to love someone? Do you know how special it is to make someone seem seen? Do you know how special it is to tell someone in your circle about Jesus Christ? I don't know. It's just eternity. Some of you need to quit waiting for the the bases to be loaded and be the hero. Why don't you start by proving it by hitting some singles? But some of you are stuck in saying, man, if something happens... If I do this, if you're anything like me, I, sometimes I justify it. God does use it as a leader. I, it's, I call it seeing potholes, right? Tim, you've heard me say that. I see potholes. And I, th- I do think that's useful, right, Jill? You've heard me say that. I think it's good sometimes. I can see and go, wish we go this way. But other times I'm going, Ugh. I can be paralyzed because I'm like, if I go that way, there could be potholes. See, that's different. I don't want to drive down the road God's told me to because it might be hard and I don't like that. And if it's hard, then God doesn't want me to do it, Sydney. Obviously. If it's hard, God doesn't want me to do it. That's ridiculous. You've got to stop worrying about that and worry about what you control, which is what? The swing. Oh, I don't know. You know, let me give you an example that every single Christian has. That moment when the Holy Spirit's telling you to tell the person about Jesus. I know you've had it. And what you do is you do the old story. You go, well, let me give you some examples. Well, if I do that, it's going to make work awkward. Or if I do that, it's going to be awkward at, my, at, at Christmas this year because everyone's going to think I'm the weird religious guy. Well, Bob hates Christianity. And even though he's hurting right now and saying, I wish I knew the meaning to any of this, I, you know, he'll just get mad at me and then mom will be mad. And if mom's mad at me, then I don't get a pie, you know, and whatever else it is. You've already talked yourself out of taking the swing. Quit worrying about what's going to happen and, and just take the swing. If you played softball with me here at, at, um, at the church, I think I've gotten pretty good, don't you think? I think I could have been a baseball player now. You want to know my biggest secret? You can ask him. I just started swinging and realized hey, I'm pretty big. You know, I'm, I, can, I can hit. I'm pretty athletic. And so a lot of times we'll have people in our church, so usually it's the ladies, no offense, they haven't played, and, they'll, and they're athletic, but they're timid, right? And you guys are giving them technical coaching, and most of the time that works. But every now and then I get proud because what do I say? I was like, just swing the bat, right? Just swing it as hard as you can. And guess what happens? I still, they're gone, first base. Yeah, everyone's celebrating. I'm like, see, just swing. Does it always go that way? No. But I'd rather go down swinging than waiting. Well, if I go to that person and tell them that, hey, the Bible tells me that I'm supposed to make things right with you. No, I'll just ignore it. That is some of you watching right now. Is Todd talking to me? Yes, I am. Is he thinking about me? Yes, I am from our church. 100% this is you. You justify not going to someone when you have an issue because you're telling yourself that it's okay. Even though God doesn't give you the option of you deciding whether it's okay, he says if someone has something against you, go make it right the best you can. Now, do they all, does it always get made right? No. Is it always restored? No, but then you've swung. You're not worried about where the ball goes. You did your part. I'll give you another story. And it is mine. You know, I want to tell you guys, because sometimes I want you to know that I believe this. The guys know. The other phrase I say is set your face like a flint. Sometimes you just got to go up there, grit your teeth, and swing. Jesus did. I learned in my life that there are times when I just literally have to set my face like a flint, grip my teeth, get a good hold on that bat, and swing. An example would be this church. I'm not going to go into it, but I had, I don't know, call it a dream, vision, call it a thought, whatever makes you feel comfortable, I had it. And it made no sense. And in my mind, I'm arguing with God, right? And by the way, I always test, everything should be tested against the Bible. If a thought doesn't go with what the Bible says, it's not from God. So, you know, it's not God telling you to leave your wife, run off, and marry the secretary. That's not God, and that's not what I'm saying. You always test it against Scripture. But because I knew that this was completely scripturally based, that it's just telling people, doing these certain things about Jesus, I knew that it wasn't wrong. 
So then it starts going, well, God, what if they don't listen? I remember having this conversation and this thought, whether it's me or not, wherever you're at on a theological boat, this is the thought that came to mind. I didn't ask you to worry about whether they hear you or not. I told you to tell them. Truth. Take it if you mean Take it. Don't believe me. I don't care. It's a fact. And I went and sat down with some of my close friends and I said, guys, I think we're supposed to do, start a church. And they're like, ah. And they started telling me the reasons. And the reasons weren't bad. But the truth is, I knew in that moment that if I gave in, I was giving in to the voice. I, was, I finally had the excuse I had not to swing. And I had to say, no, I know what God is telling me to do, guys, and he's telling me to swing. Now, my life at this church, and I'm not the only one that did this, but my life at this church has been a constant series of you're up to bat, and every time to this day, you can ask my steering team, there's times I don't want to swing. He gives me an idea, I share it, and they go, Todd, we got to do this, and I say, maybe we shouldn't, and then we got to swing. Because every time I swing, every time, it doesn't always go the way I want. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm going to get emotional because it's true, and I need you to hear my voice. Every time I swing, I see the miraculous. Every time. It doesn't always look like I want. Sometimes I don't walk on water. Sometimes the miracle comes in the cleanup. <laughs> when I fall in the water and I get to get up and go, son of a gun, right? And sometimes it comes because I learn a lesson then that ends up showing up later. And I go, gosh, if I hadn't done that then, I wouldn't know how to do this now. Some of you out there, you're living this life and I want to grab you and like talk to you like my guys, right? The guys that I pour into you know, people say sometimes, Todd, you have favorites. No, I don't. I have people that I'm harder on because that's the truth. <laughs> people that I pour into and that you can ask them if not one of my, the biggest thing I push them to do is what? You got to take the swings. Who cares? The world's going to tell you not to. They're going to tell you that walking on water is an impossible thing. They're going to tell you that um, people don't die and get raised from the dead and defeat death and sin. They're going to tell you those things. I suppose I should finish that part of the story. So what did Jesus do? Jesus took the swing, and he died on the cross, and it wasn't fun. But then he, he did what? He took the swing, he defeated sin and death, and he saved the world. All because he was willing to do the thing that he didn't necessarily know how it was going to end. The thing is, he still knew. Actually, he knew how it was going to end, and he still, but he had doubts, and he swung. And guys, that's, the, that's what I want you to hear me to tell you today, that our God, your God, that God, maybe he's not yours yet, but you're here for a reason, listening virtually. God doesn't want you to live a life of fear and timidity, right? There's even a verse about that. God did not give you a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power and self-control. God doesn't want you living like a meek mouse. He wants you living like a king or queen that you were made to be. Now, here's the thing. Everybody wants to be a king or queen. You ready? I'm going to give the meme, but I'll give it to you a different way. Until it's time to do king or queen things. See, king and queens have to do king and queen things, which means they got to make decisions like a king or queen. they got to feel the weight of doing the right thing for a lot of people. You can't be a king or queen without being willing to make decisions. And king or queens take the swing. Bottom line. Todd, what are you talking about? This is a baseball analogy. Clearly, you don't know what you... What is it? I don't understand it. You do know. That's what I love about these moments because truth is, I don't have to know your situation. The Holy Spirit does. So let me spin it around for you. What areas in your life is God calling you to swing? Because one came to mind. I promise you it did. It's that thing you don't want to do because it's scary. It's that thing that maybe you do want to do, but it's scary. I'm going to give you the hindrances. I told you, list people. I got you even when you're not in the building. I'm going to give you three hindrances to taking the swing. And all I'm really doing is taking these three stories, Sydney, and I'm putting them into a list. Hindrances to taking the swing, the things that freeze you at the plate. Man, if Andy's watching, he's going to be happy, isn't he? He loves baseball too. All right, number one, your circumstances seem impossible. All right, I gave you the scenario earlier. It's Todd versus Randy Johnson in his prime. I know enough about baseball to know I'm in trouble. Okay, it makes no sense little secret for you guys. People, by the way, think I'm cocky about this. I would still go out there and I would love it. How am I going to fail? If he strikes me out, big deal. Everybody's expecting me to, but what if I hit a dinger off of that? I walk away going, yo, I, I, as a Hall of Famer, did you see what I just did? The chance for glory is worth the chance of failure. 
Circumstances seem impossible. Something in your life seems like it's impossible. God is calling you to do this. God is calling you to, you know, it can be something small. You know, man, I really feel like that girl is like a really godly woman, and I really think that we're connecting, but man, I got to go up there and ask her on a date, and what if she says no, and I look stupid? There's no way she could like me because I stink. Take a shower. Anyway, go up and ask her. I want to serve in church, and I think I'd be really, really good at uh, being a greeter, but no one else thinks so, so I probably shouldn't do it. I'll just not do it. You know, I don't want, I don't want to be, I'll be embarrassed when Blake tells me that I, I'm ugly, because those are the type of thoughts that go in your mind, right? He's not going to do that. If he does, I'm going to fight him. But the truth is, God's calling you to do it. You probably ought to listen. Well, I've never talked. I've never done this. Guys, that's when he shows up. When does your circumstances seem impossible? There's nothing impossible to a God who lets people walk on water, who splits seas, who takes a boy and kills a giant, and who what? Kills death. <laughs> you understand? He overcame death. There is no impossible for God. Who has the right to tell you when something's possible? Nobody except the Lord. Number two, this is the biggest one. Asterisk, Fear. You're so afraid of failure that you're not willing to take the swing. Sometimes you're there to the plate and you take the swing and you miss and people make fun of you, don't they? That's real talk. <laughs> right? People make fun of you and say, oh my gosh, can you see how embarrassing that is? Ha ha ha, you didn't make it. Ha 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 ha. I can't believe that. And that hurts. You were stupid to think you could do X, Y, Z. And so what happens is we let that fear of it happening again. Okay, I failed. Now, I, I mean, that's who I am. I'm a failure. No, you took a chance. You're a warrior. You just didn't win that one. So what? Get up and do it again. You know, a good batter, right? What is it? Three out of ten? A good batter hits the ball in Major League Baseball three out of ten times. That's considered great. Right? We don't remember the other seven. We remember those home runs he's hitting on the three. Fear, fear of what you'll look like, fear of what people say, fear of people uh, reveling in your failure. But what if they saw someone who swings and every time walked up like, man, I can't wait to try again. Why? Why is he like this? Why is she like this? Oh, because God, he's got my back and I'm about, he's doing something. I know he's got a reason for me doing this. Number three, the what ifs. What does that mean? Sometimes it's the possible pain and, or are you ready, the probable pain. Ooh, possible pain's not comfortable, but what about the probable pain? You see, sometimes doing the right thing has a cost. Sometimes taking the swing is going to have a cost, right? Sometimes you, um, even, you know, if you're injured, guys that play, or girls, athletes, you've went out there before injured and played, right? You know if I do this, if I make this run, if I do this, I'm going to get hurt. We've seen it. Some of the greatest stories, right, is them finishing when they've torn their quad or ripped their arm. The fact is it might hurt. It hurts to forgive. It hurts sometimes. There might be a cost to, remember the scenario earlier, okay, this girl, this guy will not stop leaving me alone, will not leave me alone. And even though I love my spouse, it's becoming a temptation. Oh, if I leave my job, people are going to think I can't control myself and, and then I lose my money and the world tells me that I need to be mature and be a business person to handle this. When God's saying, get away. That stinks. But it doesn't mean that it's not going to be a home run. That it's not going to be worth it. Where are you at right now? Right? In your life. Where are you at? What is the, what's stopping you right now as you think about the thing, the swing for you? The opportunity, that moment, right? From the pitcher, whatever that is, whatever that circumstance that came to your mind as I'm talking today, what is it that's really hindering you and making you afraid to take the swing? Is it the circumstances? They seem impossible? I have a God that lets people walk on water, and so do you. Is it that you're afraid? Afraid of what? Everything. Hurt? Afraid of what will happen? Afraid of failure? Is it that what ifs? Like, well, this might happen or that might happen. I'm here to tell you guys, there's never, ever, ever a failure in taking a swing. I wish my coach would have said, do your best and swing. I trust you. See, there's, a, there's a, that side of it, too. I feel like the coach didn't trust me. See, God does grab you. 
God's grabbing you right now. David, isn't that crazy? I could say names. Right? There's no one in here. And he's grabbing, he's looking at you and saying, David, I love you. I want you to go out there, do your best, and swing because I trust you. I trust you. I know you can do this. I wouldn't put you in this situation. Even though Mark McGuire's right to your left and Sammy Sosa's to your right, I'm picking you because I believe in you. Such a time as this. Are you in a place that God's calling you to do something crazy? Maybe it's not a church, right? Because by the way, guys, there was a lot of pain that came along with this, but you know what? A lot of miracles too. I won't sit here and tell you that there aren't times I sit back, even today, even though everyone in this room is pretty close to me, knows enough to know that I haven't said, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Because it's a swing every day, isn't it? I'm swinging right now. <laughs> I, don't, I, haven't looked at the, I haven't looked at the comments. You could be ripping me apart. I don't know. I'm just swinging. Because God told me to. What's the area in your life? It can, it can go from the small to the big. It doesn't matter because to you, that's your moment. That's your bases are loaded, right? Two strikes. Here we go. I believe that God's wanting you to take a swing. Are you going to let circumstances and fear and what if stop you from the possibility of doing something different? God's telling you to walk away from the way you've lived your life. God's telling you to, to give up your false idols and turn to him. God's telling you to quit running to the bottle, to the drugs, to the body. God is telling you to follow him. God's telling you to go to church. God's telling you to put your faith in him. God's telling you to take that job. God's telling you to treat your wife better. God's telling you to get in that men's group, go with Lionheart. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do that you're afraid to do, do it. Because I'm going to tell you this right now. If you don't take the swing, you'll never be the king. If you don't take the swing, you'll never see the miraculous. I believe it. Now, God is good, and he'll give you other opportunities, but today is about today's swing. Will you take it, or you keep doing the same thing you've done every time and being so afraid of failure that you never see the glory? I don't know where you guys are at today and what you're doing, but I encourage you, really take that time. Ask God if this is that moment that you're supposed to take the swing. And if you're out there today and you're listening and you don't know Jesus, then guess what? This is your take the swing moment too. I'm going to tell you the good news of the gospel in about 30 seconds. Everyone in the room is saying it's not possible. Watch me. God created everything perfect. He said, follow me. And if you do, everything's going to be great. We said, I don't want to follow you. I'm going to say what right and wrong is. Because of that, we've been separated from God by a thing called sin. Sin's the bad things you do, and it's also all the stuff inside of you you can't fix. Your evil and your hate and your lust and your brokenness and your greed and the world, for thousands of years, has shown us and shows us even today what happens when the creation is separated from the creator. We have also put against ourselves a penalty. We're going to jail. It's a death penalty, actually. The Bible says that. Because the standard is holiness. Here's the thing. You know it, too. Who, me? Yes, you know something's wrong. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus Christ existed. He was a man. He lived a perfect life. He told us how to live, and he did something incredible on the cross. He took his swing. He died for our sins so that we never have to be separated from God. And all you have to do, all you have to do today is take that swing and say, God, I believe you. The Bible says if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and was raised from the dead, you will be saved today. From the right across right now, across the Internet, it can happen to you. Whatever you do, don't go to bed. Don't leave this video without taking the swing and knowing that you can forever be with God, that you'll go to heaven, that you'll never be separated from him. And not only that, guys, he will begin a process in you that's the greatest ride you'll ever go on, and you'll experience a kind of joy, hope, and peace that you've never known. It's the truth.